Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, I just want to add my thanks uh, to Charles and uh, to Tim and all the staff here and the church family for making us feel very welcome. We've really enjoyed being with you, actually. And um, so, so thank you. And uh, it's been great fun. A bit tiring at times, but great, really great. So um, can we just pray, and then we're going to look at this story together. So if you've got your Bible and you could turn with me to page 1053, that would be, would be great. But let's just pray. Father, thank you very much for your love. It's wonderful to sing in that song, If I Wander, Love Will Find Me. And thank you that that's what you're like. You go looking for us, Lord, even though we wander away. And thank you that we can look at a story of a man who'd wandered a long way away from you, but you came and found him. And we pray tonight that you will find us as well and uh, many, many more people in the weeks and months ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you probably know, I've been telling these absolutely <laughs> terrible jokes, but uh, got one more, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um, I don't know whether I've told you this, but anyway, if I have, just smile. Uh, the church that my wife and I are involved in, it's kind of like Coronation Street. It's a poor church church. Uh, in a little working-class parish by the railway station of York. You see it, actually, if you're, as you're coming in on the train. And uh, we're about to engage in a, quite a big building project, which is a big thing for us. And um, I heard this story about a, a church that had, had got involved in a building project, and they, the PCC and the vicar invited this architect to come and talk with them. So they had these great meetings about the church and, uh, and what they wanted to do. And they're quite complicated meetings, actually. They're quite difficult because everybody has a different idea of what they think the church should be. And eventually, after these meetings, uh, they, the architect turned to the vicar and he said, I normally like to give one surprise item to the vicar, uh, you know, a, a, a build a special surprise thing. And then and, and the vicar smiled. He thought this was very exciting. And then he said, but I also like to give the, uh, the PCC a surprise item. 
So they smiled because they thought this was a great thing. Anyway, after many months, the church was finally done and the people all queued up to come and see what had been done with the church. And so if you can imagine a great queue and, and then they opened the church and uh, the first people came in and they looked all around and there was only one pew actually in the church and it was right at the very back and they thought this was fantastic. So they went and sat in the pew at the back and the vicar came in and he pressed a button and the pew came to the very front and another pew popped up at the back and the next people came in and they sat in there and he pressed the button and that came and eventually the whole church was filled from the front to the back. Have you noticed the empty pew at the front? So the vicar got very, very carried away and excited by this and he got up into the pulpit to preach and he was preaching away and directly on 15 minutes a trap door opened and he vanished out of sight. (laughs) I don't think it's a true story, but uh, anyway. (laughs) Now, um, I am actually getting older, but I like to think of myself as young. I've always had this kind of Peter Pan view of myself. And uh, so, um, you know, I I think of myself as young, even though I'm not actually that young. Uh, And recently I read that middle age nowadays runs from 35 to 58 Now, on that basis, not only am I not young, but I'm not even middle-aged. And people of of my age and younger often go through what is called a midlife crisis. I remember having my midlife crisis. Uh, Actually, I was in Singapore at the time when it happened. And uh, what happens in a midlife crisis is that as you look back over your life, you can often have quite a deep sense of remorse for some of the goals that you perhaps wanted to accomplish in your life which you've not accomplished. Uh, And underneath, there can be kind of a sense that something is missing and, uh, and you want to try and find it and hold on to it. I remember... Uh, when I was working in Vancouver, a a businessman saying to me, Roger, can I take you out for for lunch? This was near Granville Market. And uh, he took me out to to lunch. And he was a very, very... He was actually highly successful as a businessman. I didn't realize it. He was one of the top most successful businessmen, top five, actually, in Canada. I didn't know that when I met him. And he was a striking-looking man. He had a beautiful wife, several children, and uh, he, he had the most fantastic house in Vancouver. I went to visit him uh, when I got to know him. And not only that, but he had a home on the Gulf Islands, which are some islands between Vancouver and Vancouver Island. And he had a ski lodge in Whistler. And uh, you name it, he had it, various interesting cars. And he said to me at the end of the lunch, Roger... I'm so empty on the inside, could you help me? It was a real cry from his heart. It really touched me, actually. And uh, through, through him, I got to know a whole lot of other people like him in Vancouver. And I, and I ran, actually, an alpha course. I'd never done this in my life, in a, in a boardroom on the 34th floor of a huge office block in downtown 
Vancouver, and he brought a lot of his friends who were very similar to him. Now, I want to, and really what they were looking for was something more to life. Is there more to life than this? If we can go on to the next slide. And I want to just, no, sorry, back to, back again. What do people live for? Um, I, I, I think, generally speaking, people live for certain things. One I find is money and possessions. And lots of people, particularly younger people, think, uh, if I can make money, then uh, that will answer you know, the, the hole in my life. But the trouble is, with money, you can never really have enough money. I learned that through some of those guys in Vancouver. John D. Rockefeller, who was reputedly one of the richest men of the 20th century, was once asked, how much money does it take to be really satisfied? And he replied very wisely, just a little bit more. Or, or some people live for sex and relationships. I remember talking to a man in York who had had many, many relationships, uh, including many with married women, and he told me in the course of chatting to him how empty he felt on the inside. Boris Becker, uh, the Wimbledon tennis commentator, said this, I had won Wimbledon twice before, once as the youngest player. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed, money, cars, women, everything, I know this is a cliche, it's the old song of the movie and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything and yet they are so unhappy. I had no inner peace, I was a puppet on a string. Or others live for ambition and success. I, re I remember reading, uh, uh, this was an, an, an interview with an international best-selling Author, and he'd written a number of multi-million dollar or pound bestsellers. And he was interviewed at the height of his fame. And in the course of the interview, he was asked this question. What do you, what do you wish that you'd known when you were young that you now know? He was an older man. And he said this. He said that at the top, there's nothing there. I thought it was very profound. Now, I've often wondered uh, whether Zacchaeus, who we're going to look at uh, tonight, um, was actually going through some sort of mid-life crisis. Uh, and whether or not he was, he actually found an answer that so many people who are searching for in an encounter with Jesus Christ. So let's have a look. So if you've got the text in front of you, I want to just pick out a number of things from the story and try and apply them to us tonight. So if we could go on to the next slide. Now the first thing that I notice in the story is that he wanted to keep Jesus at a distance. Now Luke tells us a number of things about him. First of all, uh, we're told that he was a chief tax collector uh, and he was wealthy. So if you like, he'd reached the top of his profession. Um, he was still able to run, however, and he could still climb a tree, which I, I don't think I could do now. But 
he wasn't getting any younger. And we're also told that he was short. Now, I have to say, John Ash said to me tonight, Roger, do you have to have the lecterns so, so low? You know, it is very low. It's up here for John and Tim and Charles. Uh, and uh, I have always had a bit of a problem with my, with my height. I remember, I'll just, t- just tell you this as a sort of bit about myself. When I got to university, I was at University College London. In those days, I had very long hair and a headband and an Afghan coat. And um, I, I, I sort of fancied this girl, <laughs> I still remember this, who was blonde and very attractive. And uh, she said to me in the course of chatting one afternoon, she said, gosh, you are short, aren't you, Roger? I mean, imagine, imagine coping with that as, you know, just arrived in London, at, started at university. And I thought, yeah, I probably I am a bit short, actually. So I, I picked up a magazine called the Exchange and Mart magazine, which was, and I went through it and I came across a little advert which said, are you short? And I thought, well, Leslie says I am, and I liked her. So, and you sent off uh, 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 10 shillings or whatever it was, uh, and you got through the post uh, in a brown <laughs> envelope. You got these things called taller man pads, which were actually little wedges made out of cork, which were about that big, and then they were, they were a bit like a sort of wedge of cheese, and which you put into your boots. So I bought some really big Cuban, <laughs> Cuban heels. So I was, on about, I was on about that much Cuban heel. And then inside, I had the taller man pads. So I was walking on a bout like that. So I bumped into, Le- <laughs> into Leslie, and she said, gosh, you're not so short after all. And I thought, Leslie, if you knew, it's absolutely killing my feet. <laughs> So I can identify with Zacchaeus when it, when I, when it, and only those of us who are shorter will know what it's like to be short. So he was, he was actually a chief tax player. He was short and he was also very wealthy. He was wealthy, Luke tells us. And he was wealthy through his work. And probably, probably his work was actually his priority. And as a chief tax collector, he would have had people working for him. And he'd have been promoted many times, and he could look back with satisfaction upon his achievements. Yet, as a tax collector, the personal cost of his work was actually ostracism and unpopularity. And I have found that people like Zacchaeus often resent their job and feel trapped in their chosen life. Do you know, there was a chap here, he came this morning to, to this church. Uh, I met him uh, several years ago in York. He is worth hundreds of millions of pounds, this man. And he said to me, quite recently actually, he described his life as being like on a gold-plated treadmill thought that was very interesting. And uh, which probably Zacchaeus would have had a family. We read of his house. Jesus says, I must come to your house today. And uh, he probably worked hard for his family. And a midlife crisis can be devastating to family life. And I've 
I've found in talking to people that people in midlife can often become angry and depressed and resentful of those closest to them, feeling no matter how hard they work, their family require more than they can earn. And Zacchaeus was almost certainly from a religious home. His parents had called him Zacchaeus, the righteous one, but now the religious people regarded him as a sinner because he was collecting taxes from his own people and giving them to the Romans. So here, we, here he is. He wanted to keep Jesus at a distance, so he hid up the tree. Now, the second thing I notice in the story, uh, and how do we keep Jesus at a distance? And I, I think two things that I have noticed that keep Jesus... One is fear, the fear of following him. What will it mean if I follow him? That's what kept me away from Jesus for quite some time. And the other thing that I think keeps Jesus at a, at a distance from many, many people is just sheer activity and bus busyness. I think we actually stay busy to, to so that we don't, we don't stop and listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. We just keep going and we pile on. And I've done that myself, pile on more and more activity. So the second thing I, I noticed in the story and go on is that he responded to a challenge and Jesus met him face to face. Uh, he must have realized in the midst of this that he, that he had a need. Despite his money and his success and his family life and his religion, there was still something missing. And um, if you look again at the, at the text, we're, we're told that he wanted to see who Jesus was. Look at verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he didn't want Jesus to see him. Now, uh, I think many people feel that. They feel that because of their sin and their imperfections that God will turn away from them. But I want to say this, that God loves imperfect people. And the amazing thing is that God, instead of turning away from us, he actually turns towards us. And Zacchaeus did not realize that you cannot actually hide from God. When I lived in the West End of London, my wife and I shortly after we got married, we went, we went to live in the West End of London, just off Tottenham Court Road. We lived, we've lived in a little flat four floors up above a, an office opposite the GPO Tower. And we had two little boys while we were there. One was called Tom and the other one was called Mark. And I remember that one of the games that Mark would absolutely love to play was was hide-and-seek, and I used to say to him, he's just a tiny little chap, about a year and a half, I used to say, Mark, we're going to play hide-and-seek, and his little face would light up, and uh, he would go upstairs, toddle upstairs, and he always hid in the same place every time. He always hid behind our bedroom curtain, and I would come up and I'd say, Mark, I'm, I'm coming to find you, and, uh, and I'd make a big song and dance of this, and I'd go into the, into the bathroom, and I'd say, now, is Mark in the bathroom? 
No, no, he's not. He's not in the bath. I wonder where he is. And then I'd go into the bedroom and I'd say, I wonder where Mark is. And there were little muttered, stifled laughter at this point coming from behind the, behind the curtain. And I'd say, oh, I know where he is. He's under the duvet. And I'd go and I'd look under the... No, Mark is not under the duvet. I wonder where he is. Oh, I know where he is. He's in the wardrobe. And I'd open the wardrobe. No, he's not. I wonder where Mark is. It was, by then it was building and building. He could hardly contain it. And then I would go and I'd pull the curtain back and I'd say, I know where Mark is. He's here. And his little face would just break into laughter and I would laugh and pick him up and we'd just have a great time. And we did that every time. He would always hid there and he always loved that game. And I loved it as well. Now, I, I used to think about that game with him, and I, 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 we used to run this group called Agnostics Anonymous on a Monday night in our flat, and many of the people who came to it, they thought that God was actually hiding from them and that they were looking for God, and if only they could find God. Whereas actually it was completely opposite. It was actually they were doing the hiding. Like Zacchaeus, he was hiding, he was interested, but he was hiding, and it was God who was looking for him. So whatever you've done in your life, whatever your imperfections, Jesus loves you and he wants to be in a relationship with you. But it does require a response. And in this dramatic moment in the story, he encounters Jesus, but he has to do something. Now, can we just go on to the next slide? I find that it's at this point of response when Jesus calls, as he called Zacchaeus to follow him to come down out of the tree, that there are usually various excuses that people make. And these are some of the ones that I find are most common. The first one is, can't I wait until another time? I, I know it's true, but I'm just not ready and they put it off. Now, there might be somebody in the church here tonight, and you know that it's true, but you're putting off. And can I say that if, if you're like that, and you're putting off this decision, the longer we put it off, the harder it becomes. And we never know whether we will get another opportunity. So I just want to encourage you, don't keep putting it off. Don't keep saying, well, I'll wait until another time. Secondly, will I feel any different? I was, when I became a Christian in that church in London, in the West End, I wondered whether I would feel anything. Now, I have to say that the, initially when I responded to Jesus Christ, I didn't feel very much. Some people feel a lot. I didn't. Buses were still red. They hadn't changed color. Um, but I knew, I knew in my heart that I'd done the right thing and I found that the feelings actually came later on. Or will I be able to keep it up? And I remember, I remember that. I remember thinking, I'll never be able to keep this up. I was such a sort of, I was the kind of person who I'd try this and then I'd try that. I never stuck at anything. I was a bit like a butterfly, and my twin brother was then into 
Zen Buddhism and, and opium and LSD. And, and I thought, well, will I be able to keep this up? Will I be able to carry on following Jesus Christ? Now, it is impossible to follow Jesus Christ by, by ourselves. But when we open our life to Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And here I am, nearly 47 years later, and I'm still following Jesus. Actually, I'm more passionate about Jesus Christ now than I was then. So, yes, with God's help, he will give you the strength that you need. And the other thing is that people often say, I don't have any need. And when, when people say that, what they really mean is, I'm quite happy without God. But our greatest need is not happiness, but forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. And if we don't receive the forgiveness that God offers us through Jesus Christ, we're, we're in a serious position because God's not only a loving father, but he is also a righteous judge. And either we accept the forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus Christ, or one day we will have to pay the just penalty ourselves for the things that we've done wrong. And that leads me on to the third and final thing I want to say. We can go on to the next one. He gained a new life. He got down out of the tree and his life was changed. He humbled himself and he obeyed Jesus. Wonderful. If you just look at verse 5 and 6. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And uh, Jesus was not put off by the negativity of the crowd. Look at verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And the result of this obedience was a total transformation. He decided to give away half of his possessions to the poor. Look down at verse 8. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And he said, if I've cheated anyone, I will pay that person back four times the amount that I've taken from them. In other words, his attitude to his possessions changed completely. And when we come to Christ and we open our lives to Christ, he does change our attitude to money and possessions. And the question for us should not be, how much can I keep but how much can I give to Jesus Christ? And his whole life, his whole family was transformed. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And when we see the word salvation, think of the word freedom. Freedom has come to Zacchaeus and his house today. He found freedom. And he found all these things when he came to Christ. He found forgiveness he found fulfillment, he found purpose, he found direction, and he found friends and a community which he'd been longing for. And he also became part of God's great story, the transformation of society. So when he was transformed and his household was transformed, it brought great benefits to the poor and justice for those who'd been cheated. So I want to just ask you tonight, will you come to Jesus Christ tonight. 
And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a prayer which I've prayed each time at these uh, events. And if you'd like to pray with me and you've never done this, then I'd love you to just pray quietly with me. You can echo my words uh, and make them your words. Uh, if you've done this, you don't need to do that. Um, so let's just bow our heads and pray together. Now I want you to imagine, if you can, that you're, if you like, up a tree hiding from Jesus Christ. But we can't hide from him. He knows everything about us. He knows our name. He knows our struggles. He knows our imperfections, our weakness, our failings. And yet he still loves us, just as he loved Zacchaeus. He saw great potential in Zacchaeus, and he sees great potential in you. He loves you, but he wants you to respond to him. And that's going to mean saying sorry to him and also asking him to come into your life and to change you, to transform you by his Holy Spirit. I wonder if you've never done that. Can you do that tonight? Can you take that step as Zacchaeus did and respond to him tonight? And I remember when I did this many years ago, so I'm going to say a, a prayer, a simple prayer, in which I say sorry to him and please come to me and, thank, and I want to thank him. So just pray this prayer in your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. And you might want to just take a moment or two to ask his forgiveness for anything particular that is on your conscience. Please forgive me. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to change me, to transform me, and to live within me. And help me, Lord, not to be ashamed of you. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Now I want to, um, as, as we finish, I want to give people a chance to respond. We've done this at these different events. So if you've, if you've got a blue card, I think you should all have one. I'd love everybody to respond. Then we're all responding uh, tonight in whatever way is right 
for us. And um, we've put down here a number of ways that you could respond. Um, if you did pray with me tonight and you want to um, say, count me in, then just put a little tick there underneath, count me in, um, and you can book in for the next Alpha course. Or you might be thinking, well, I'm not quite ready to do that, but I am interested and I would love to know more. So tell me more, and, and we'd love you to join the big questions course, where you can look at some of these questions. Uh, there's great evidence for faith, and you, you could put a tick there. Or you could say, keep me posted. I'd like to be kept informed about other events that are happening. Or uh, the last one is thanks, but no thanks. You might have come tonight, and, and you're saying, well, thanks. I've enjoyed coming, but I don't really want any more information, then that's absolutely fine. Or if you're a, a Christian, we'd love you to just make a few comments which will help us for the future. So let's just have a moment's uh, quiet, and um, uh, maybe we can have a bit of piano music just playing. Um, don't worry if we can't. <laughs> uh, and let's just fill in the cards. Can we just do that now quietly um, as we're sitting um, in, in our chairs, just as a, an act of response tonight to Jesus Christ. <laughs> 